Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to John 15, and our text will be John 15, 1 through 8, and we will come to this text, and uh, you can find the handout in your bulletin, I think. Bearing much fruit is what we want to talk about today from this passage of Scripture. All right, let's have prayer together, shall we? Father, we need your help. We ask for that again, and we pray that you'll open our hearts to the truth, and we ask, Lord, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be evident as we yield to you, Lord, not only in the preaching and the teaching, but in the hearing, and then then in obedience to what we hear today. We give this time to you and ask that you'll do mighty things in our life, Lord. We're thankful for the word of God that has saved us. His own will begat he asked by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures and we learn from our passage, now are ye clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. But Lord, may we learn today that beyond being saved and rejoicing in that, Lord, that we are to bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit in our lives. So, Lord, do a work as I surrender myself to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We come here to the eve just before, I think it was on the eve that Christ, uh, of his crucifixion, where he spoke these words to his disciples, and what he was trying to prepare his disciples for was the fact that he was no longer going to be with them. You can just imagine what that must have been. Christ knowing all things, they were somewhat oblivious, I think, to the details of all of this. They had received hints, such as from Matthew 16. Remember, from that day forward, uh, Christ began to show unto his disciples how that he must needs go unto Jerusalem and to suffer many things of the chief priests and scribes and the Pharisees and be killed and be raised again the third day. And that's when Peter said, Lord, this won't be to you. And that's when Christ said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So I use that to support what I just said. They were somewhat clueless on all of the details of what was going to happen. But Christ, nevertheless, was trying to prepare them for their ministry after he was gone. And so when you come to Matthew, excuse me, John 15 and 16, I think in this body of truth, he's really trying to prepare them for the fact that he is going to be away from them. And you can only imagine what difficulty this was going to bring to them when they had relied upon him so much and they had just been with him all the time. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his words. He had personal talks with them to prepare them. And when you come to John 16, jumping ahead a little bit, he talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to go and just look at that, if you would, with me. Beginning in verse 7, and such an important ministry, a new ministry, a different kind of ministry than what the Spirit of God has had in the past when he's uh, leaving them. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. 
And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. That kind of supports what I just said, them not understanding everything. Look at verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so one of the things he's talking to them about is the ministry of the Holy Spirit when he's gone. But back to chapter 15, he speaks to them there about the fact that they need to bear fruit in his absence. And by the way, he told them, you're going to suffer persecution. He's trying to prepare them for the persecution that was going to come. And since we're talking about that, look at verse 18. Uh, uh, back to chapter 15 now. 15:18. he says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. Look at verse 20. It's good for us to remember these truths today. You know, when we have difficulty and we have persecution, sometimes we think, where did this come from? I think about 1 Peter, uh, where it says, uh, don't be surprised. I should turn there. Uh, but uh, don't be surprised. I've told you before of these things. And we think, uh, what strange thing is happening uh, to us? And then we feel so persecuted. And boy, has the Lord forgotten us here. But he told the disciples, and then he's telling us this was going to come. Look at verse 20. Remember the word that I have said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Look at verse 32 of John 16. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, now is, that ye shall be scattered, every one to his own, and shall leave me alone. Uh, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. He said, you're going to be scattered. Now go back to 16.2. Am I making you jump around too much? But go back to 16.2, and here's what he says. They shall put you out of the synagogue, Listen to this, if this doesn't sound like something that could have been written today. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And so it is today we are living in times, we are into these Second Timothy 3 days. Perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers disobedient to parents, truce breakers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of God godliness, but denying the power thereof. And these things you'd think they could have been written yesterday and published for us. So, you know, I'm saying those things to kind of put us right into where the disciples were. But what does Christ say to them in chapter 15, as we have it in John 15? He 
basically saying to them, you now need to continue on with the work that I've been doing. You need to bear fruit. You need to bear much fruit. And that's what I want to challenge us with today. That in these times, yes, perilous times that we live in, that we will follow this passage of scripture and obey these injunctions to bear fruit. You know, you come to times like this and you throw up your hands maybe. What's a person to do? You know, we can't change the government. We, we are living in this capitalistic system and we all have uh, a voice. We can go to the polls and vote, but you just come back and step away from the recent election or whatever and you throw up your hand and you say, what's a person to do? What can we do? And don't you feel helpless sometimes? Well, I'm saying to you, on the basis of this passage of scripture, there is a lot we can do. And it's mentioned here, one of the things that we can do is that we can keep on keeping on and we can bear fruit. Now, I want us to look in this message at three truths that Christ gave to his disciples as he challenged them in his absence to bear much fruit. And the first thing we find is we find the role of Christ who is the vine. And here's what he starts with. He says, I am the true vine. I wish I could take you time to go back to Psalm 80. Uh, I have a privilege of working with these teachers and on Tuesday, Mrs. Gallion uh, helps us out with in our uh, teachers meeting. As you know, we meet every morning at uh, 25 after seven. And I wish I'd have been doing this all through the years that I've been a principal. But uh, I have them take uh, one day a week, each of them, to tell something that they've gotten out of their own devotions. And uh, Miss Miller on Thursday, that is her day, Mrs. Gallions is on Tuesday. I usually say, uh, Brenda, any word from the Lord this morning? <laughs> These prophetesses we have among them. Stephanie, any word from the Lord this morning? Well, Stephanie took us to Psalm 80 and 81. Now, I read through the book of Psalms every month, and so I'm somewhat familiar with what's in some of those chapters. But if you were to go to Psalm 80, not chapter Psalms, but if you were to go to Psalm 80, uh, you would find that Israel is referred to as the vine. And it tells how that they had disobeyed the Lord and how that, you know, uh, different things had come in and destroyed the vine. In other words, Israel had lost their place of being a testimony to the world through history, the history of the Old Testament. So when Christ is speaking here to the disciples, I think they were very much familiar with Israel's role in God's plan. And they were probably very familiar with Psalm 80. And so Christ said to them what? He said, I am the true vine. Now, what is the role of Christ? Verse 1 says, I am the vine. And you know, if you were to go to that culture and to that part of the world, I think we would get a little different idea of what this is to be the vine. You know, when I think about a vine, 
grapevine, I think of a vine growing along a fence and a little spindly thing, and sometimes we drive around the country. My wife and I have these very expensive dates. We drive around at night and pick up something from McDonald's, maybe a frappe, and then we will count deer to see how many deer that we can find, and we've done that with a couple different couples in our church, and we enjoy our time together counting deer, and uh, even turkeys. So you say, wow, you guys really go big, don't you? Well, um, you will see uh, different vineyards. We know of a couple of them. We saw a new one the other night on our drive, and when you see these vineyards, there's posts, They've got cables going across, and I see these little vines coming up. But you know, in that culture, when we talk about vine, uh, you are talking about a stem or a trunk, which was comparatively large and sturdy. And when Christ said he is the vine, they knew what he was talking about. You see, the vine uh, has the function of putting its roots into the ground, drawing out the nutrients out of the soil so that it can supply the nutrients to the branches and provide for the fruit and the growth. And Christ is saying that no one on the branch, none of the branches can bear fruit except from me, the true vine that supplies the nutrients. And verse 4 says again it says abide in me and i in you listen as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in the vine or abide in me look at verse five i am the vine ye are the branches he that abideth in me and i in him the same bringeth forth much fruit now notice the last phrase what does it say for without me ye can do nothing. Look at verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered, men gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And so this vine supplies nourishment to all of these branches, but if they are not firmly attached, people gather them and burn them. And I say to you, oh, the importance of the vine. And I want to say to you at this juncture that if we're going to bear fruit, it's not going to be something that's going to come from ourselves. This is not something we can muster up enough courage and energy and discipline and pray enough to produce it in our own selves. When Christ said, I am the vine, and without me ye can do nothing, get the truth of that. He is the true vine. Therefore, and I may as well say it now, if you bear fruit, how could we be proud about the fruit that we have if we cannot do it without him? I said in Sunday school, John 3, 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. And I mentioned what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? And so when we are bearing fruit, it's not coming from us. And this is not something that we can glory in because it's only through Christ, the true vine, that anything good can be accomplished. I'm really helping our ego this morning, aren't we? 
But you know, we come to the end of this lesson, I hope we've got that truth stamped in our minds loudly and clearly. That without our connection to Christ, we're going to be worthless and we're going to be fruitless. Now let's come secondly to the husbandman, and here's what it says. I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman. Now the husbandman was the gardener. He was the one that went into the vineyard, and he did the work of maintaining the health and the stability and the fruitfulness of these branches, of these plants. And here's what it says in verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit... He taketh away. I think what we have here is we have two different things that the father, the husbandman, does. As he's caring for this vineyard, if he sees things in our life that are not bearing fruit, that are worthless, he takes them away. I think we need to be open to that. When things are taken from us, when we have difficulties and we have trials, I think we ought to say, Lord, give me wisdom. James 1.5, in the context of trials and difficulties, says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally, and prayeth not, and it shall be given him. And we should not be clinging unto these things that God is trying to take away from us, which are not bearing fruit. The other thing, come back to verse 2, that the husbandman does, And every branch in me that beareth fruit, what does he do? Can you find the word there that I'm after? He purgeth it. He prunes it. Why? So it can bring forth more fruit. And you know, we perhaps have these things that Hebrews 12 would say are weights. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. These would not necessarily be sinful things and wrong things in our life. They may be just encumbrances. They may, may be things that are just slowing us up in this process of growth and in fruit bearing. And so we need to submit to God in his wisdom. He knows what needs to be done in our life. It's not a comforting thing to know that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus on two good works. He's always working on us. I like the picture of the piece of clay sitting on the shelf in the potter's shop. And he takes us and he puts us onto his spinning wheel, the potter's wheel. And as we spin, he's purging us. He's forming us. He's taking care of our rough edges. He's preparing us more so that we can bring forth more fruit. The remainder of the message, I want to come to the role of the branches, and the branches are believers. The branches are you as a believer and myself. And here's what it says. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. You can find that a couple different places where it says that we are the branches. They are those that are saved. Verse 3 says, Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. 
We are those that have been made clean by the word of God. God gave us his word. He convicted us at a point in time, and we put our faith in Christ. He became our Savior. And when we placed our faith in him, we were born again, and it's through his word. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and what? Hearing by the word of God. And if you have placed your faith in Christ and called upon him to be your Savior, you are one of the branches. Now, I want us to take a little... Uh, a little excursion here. Would you go back to John 13? And I want you to come to verses 10 and 11. And this is where Christ is with his disciples and he's washing the disciples' feet. And in verse 10, Jesus said unto, this was Peter, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean. Now what's the next part? But not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Now let's go to verse 18 of that same chapter, John 13, and really you can see, and I'll not read all this, but you can see in 18 and verse 30, you can see how that Judas was exposed as that one who was not clean, and that's who he was speaking about. So that's why Christ said, ye are not all clean. Now when you come to John 15, Judas has already declared himself. He has been shown to be who he is. He was uh, a denier of Christ. He was not a true believer. And so when you come back to John 15, you come to verse 6. And verse 6 says, If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. And I believe he is speaking there about the pretenders like Judas. You know, I think that would be a good time for us to remind ourselves of 2 Corinthians 13, 5, which says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. And I believe that Judas was one of those who went along with the rest of them. He was their treasure, in fact. And he was right in there with them, doing all of the things that they did. But he was exposed here in John 13 for who he is. So then, let us ask ourselves now, what is the role of the branch? Well, the branch, the role, our responsibility is to bear fruit. And you notice, if you look at this passage, you will see fruit mentioned in the early part of the chapter. Then it says more fruit, and then it says much fruit. And so it is, I believe, as we are growing in Christ and as we are yielded to Christ, we are going to come to that place more and more of being able to yield much fruit. Now we've been using this word a lot, fruit. I think we need to answer a question. What are we talking about? What is fruit? Well, I think I've listed five things in your notes if you want to look there, but one of those is uh, the attributes 
the spirit-produced qualities of our life. Now, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 lists, I think, nine of them. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Think about these. Sometimes we say through them so fast we don't take time to evaluate. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. And I believe that that is clearly pointed out as a fruit of the Spirit. You know, there ought to be in our lives so that we can glorify God, we ought to have these qualities being built more and more. On Wednesday night, we came to 1 Peter 1, uh, 5 through 7, and we were talking about, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and the virtue knowledge, and the knowledge temperance, and the temperance patience, and the patience godliness, and the godliness brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness charity. And our point from, did I say 1 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 1, the point, I think, of the passage here is, and the whole book of Second Peter is, how are we going to be able to stand true in these days of error and false teaching? And he started out by giving us the sure foundation that we have in our salvation and the ministry of the apostles and the precious promises that are given to us. And... We have that foundation, but then we have a responsibility, and our responsibility then is to build upon that, that foundation. We ought to give diligence to doing that. That kind of coincides with this list that we have in Galatians 5, and I believe from Scripture it is the, those spirit-produced qualities of life as fruit in our life. You know, another one is praise to God. That is a fruit. That's a way we can glorify God. I think about Psalm 50 and verse 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. But you know, Hebrews 13, 15 says, by, there, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving praise to his name. And so that would be fruit. We ought to have that on the tip of our tongue, we used to say all the time, some praise to God. So then we come to work of God testimonies. You shouldn't have to do like sometimes we feel like we have to do with kids in the school, pry things out of the kids, even for prayer requests or praises. By him, therefore, let's offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We ought to be a thankful people. And then, thirdly, we ought to have this doing good and sharing to meet the needs of others in our life. Right after Hebrews 13 and verse 15, which says, offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, the writer of Hebrews says, well, I'll get there to refresh my memory, but it says in verse 16, I 
turned one too many pages. But to do good, is that what it says? But to do good and to communicate, am I in the right spot? Forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And I take that right along with verse 15 to be one of those fruits. Praise and then doing good, and I can bear that out by us going to Romans 15, 26 through 28. And I'm not going to turn there, but Paul was on his way up to Jerusalem. And he was taking a collection with him for the poor saints in Jerusalem because of the persecution that they had gone through after embracing this way, the way of the apostles, the way of Christ. And he said, I'm going to carry this fruit onto the poor saints in Jerusalem. Do you realize through our giving and our caring and meeting the needs of one another, that is fruit? And certainly that ought to be in our lives and something that is growing more and more. Fourthly, others to whom we have led to Christ and that we have ministered to. And in Romans 1.13, Paul's, Paul refers to these Roman believers as his fruit. So in our lives, there ought to be this fruit of people that we have won to Christ and people that we are ministering to. Boy, that's an important fruit. And then the last one is righteous living. If you were to go to Philippians 1 and verse 11, it says being filled with the fruit of righteousness. And so if you want an idea of what fruit is, there are five things I think that we can talk about as we think about bearing fruit. Now, if we desire to bear fruit, we must allow God, the all-wise husbandman, to do two things. We mentioned his work before. When we were talking about the role of the husbandman. We must allow him to remove things from our life that are not bearing fruit. And then we must submit to him and allow him to do the purging and work on us as we are bearing fruit. And that is an ongoing work. That's an ongoing work that he's always doing. I think about Psalm 138 and verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercies endureth forever. Forsake not the work of thine own hand. And God is continually working on us to prune us so that we will be able to bear much fruit and get rid of those, not only those sins, but those weights. So, we have to submit to the work of God, but then we find more. Come to verse 4. We must abide in Christ. Here's what it says in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Verse 5 says, much the same, I am the vine, you are the branch. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. Verse 7 says, if ye abide in me. Now what does it mean to abide in Christ? You know, the Greek word is meno in its root, which has to do with just remain, and I would like to say remaining firmly attached to Christ. It means that we cannot let disease 
if you were using the illustration of the vine itself. We must not let disease, let's say sin, come in between us and our source of nutrients. That means we must keep sin confessed. It means if we're going to remain firmly attached or abide, connected to the vine, so that we can bear fruit, certainly involves keeping sin confessed. Let me ask you something as I'm asking myself. Do you have this sensibility of sin? We have a song in one of our hymnals. A sensibility of sin. A sense to feel it near. Do you have these checkpoints throughout your day where you just stop and say, how are things between me and Christ? Am I in connection? Am I firmly attached to him? Am I abiding in the vine? Good thing to pray is Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, if we are sensitive, we're going through the day. We have this awareness. You know, I think we're going to sense some cloud come over. By the way, we know quite a bit about overcast skies after this last week, don't we? Yesterday, or was it this morning, we saw the sun come out. And it looked so nice. Now it's overcast again. But you know, sometimes in our existence, in our fellowship with the Lord, we just sense this overcast, this shadow, this cloud that come over our fellowship. What do you do at that point? You just plow through the day as if there's nothing between your soul and the Savior? Or do you pause and say, Lord, show me what's going on? But not just during the day. You know, I think we ought to begin the day in our devotions that way. Lord, show me my sin. I like to use this acrostic for my own devotions, which comes from Acts, A-C-T-S. Adoration. Begin our prayer time with adoration. C, confession. And that's where we say, Lord, show me my sin. And God will make it clear to you, don't you think? If there's anything he wants us to be aware of is what has separated us from him. And the Lord will make it clear. If there's any prayer he'll answer, I think it's show me what's going on in me. And, you know, I usually head the list with, pride and hypocrisy and my thoughts and my words I evaluate those things and I want to have those confessed you know uh, Ephesians 4 says verse 29 let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers and the next verse says and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Perhaps we grieve the Holy Spirit more through our words than through anything else. You say, I don't have a problem with the tongue, Pastor Dan. Go on to the big things. <laughs> you know, someone told me one time, I've probably been told this more, you've got a problem with the tongue, Pastor Dan. <laughs> I said, you're exactly right. And I didn't say, so do you, but I said, James 3 says we all have that problem. If any man has sinned not in word, the same as a perfect man, and 
bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, and they obey us, and we turn about their whole bodies. Behold, also the ships, though they be so great and are driven with the fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that defile the whole body, setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. And I say to you, that would be another good place to start, is with our tongue. And make sure that we have sin confessed so that we don't have this separation between us and the vine, and we allow Christ to dwell in us. And we ought to do that as a congregation as well. And I'm thinking about Colossians 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But now I'm getting to another point. The next thing, the fourth thing that we must allow God to do is we must allow God's word to abide in us and remain in us. Look at verse 7. If ye abide in me, and what's the next part say? And my words abide in you. Do you have enough word in you to convict you of being a follower of Christ? Or can you get up and go about your busy day and never crack open the Bible? I'm asking myself the same thing. You know, if you're doing that, you're saying, I can handle this. I know what I'm supposed to do. I've got this life, the Christian life, figured out. But Christ said to his disciples, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you. And so we have got to let God's word abide in us. How can we expect to bear fruit if God's word is not in us and directing us and empowering us. But I want us to notice the blessed promises when we do these things as a branch. If we abide in Christ and if we let Christ's words abide in us. What are the blessings? Well, the blessings are is that we, number one, we can pray and we can see prayers answered. Boy, do we need prayers answered. What does it say in verse 7? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. There is this connection between us and the vine, so that when we pray, we're not going to be asking against God's will. Thinking about 1 John 5, and this is a confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. But if you're not in his word, you're not going to have the assurance that you're asking according to his will, and you're not going to have the confidence and the blessing of having prayers be answered. But you know what the greatest blessing is that comes to us in verse 8? If we bear fruit, Here's what it says, and herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Herein is my Father glorified. That's what this whole thing is about. 
It's not to make us look good and not to build the church and not to have success and, you know, be recognized as some godly person. Oh, I get nervous if people ever refer to me as being godly. Why does that make a person nervous? Well, number one, I say to them, if you just knew what I was like, you wouldn't be saying that. And I don't want to be ever coming to the place where I think there's anything good in me outside of Christ. Now, I had to strive to be godly. But I'll say, say this very clearly. What this is all about is glorifying God, making God known for who he is. That is a supreme motivation for me to bear fruit. That people look at God and they will say, isn't God powerful? Isn't God magnificent? Isn't God what he says he is in his word? So if we were to back up, the vine is going to nourish the branch. God is going to be working to take away out of us what's going to keep us from being fruitful. And then those things that are bearing fruit, he's going to hone them and prune them and make them more able to bear fruit. But now we as branches, we've got to cooperate with all of those blessings. And when we do, keep sin confessed, abide in Christ, and let his word abide in us, then we're going to be able to pray, see prayers answered, and the pinnacle of it all is God is going to be glorified. Is that what you want? I have to ask myself, is that what I want? Is that what my life is all about, to glorify God? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I trust that we will bear much fruit. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for the passage of Scripture. Lord, you were preparing your disciples, your followers, to live a fruitful life in your absence and then to bring glory uh, to you. And Lord, you made it clear to them, make it clear to us, and help us to be obedient to what we've heard, what we've seen in this passage today. If anyone here is here that is not saved, that is not clean through the word spoken unto them, I pray that this will be the day of their salvation. And then, Lord, as you're working on all of us, where you are trying to take away what is hindering us or pruning us, trying to prune us so that we'll be bearing much more fruit, Lord, help us to cooperate with you there and allow you to do it, that we might glorify you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, uh, perhaps, first of all, there'd be someone here to say, I am not clean to the word spoken unto me. I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. And you lift your hand and say, Pastor Dan, pray for me as you close. 
Well, assuming then we are in a church with believers then, perhaps there would be those here that would say, Pastor Dan, I want to bear fruit. And God has spoken to me about something I need to do and allow Christ to do so that I can bear much fruit. And you'd say, Pastor Dan, pray for me. Would you slip your hand up and I'll remember you. Thank you. I see a number of hands. Thank you. Praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> My hand is up as well. We want to glorify God. We want to be bearing much fruit for his glory. Father, thank you that you know about all of our needs and our hearts. Thank you for these that have indicated a desire along with myself to bear fruit. I pray that you'll do the work that will allow you to do the work that you want to do in us, that we'll confess sin, that we'll, Lord, get into the word of God and allow you to abide in us and uh, your word to abide in us and that we may be firmly attached to you, Lord, whatever you want to do. Help us to be obedient to the voice of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take your songbooks and go to 390. I surrender all and we'll sing the first verse for now at least. Would you stand with me and we uh, leave the invitation open if you would want to come to the front and kneel here and make this an altar of dedication to the Lord, surrendering all to the Lord, or if you'd like counsel, you can let me know that and we can have someone take you to a back room and use the word of God to help you with your need, we are here to help. This is a hospital to get people fixed up. It's not a trophy case to show off all the trophies of grace. And so let's be a blessing to one another today to help one another. Think of the words as we sing verse 1 together. All together. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender. of verse 4, sometimes the fourth verse on a lot of songs kind of put everything right together. Think of the words as we sing together, verse 4. All to Jesus I surrender, Lord, I give myself to
Well, thank you for being here and thank you for your kind attention. I think I'm going to speak tonight. Would you come anyway? And uh, I think I want to speak. I've not heard from Pastor officially that I will be speaking, but if I do, I want to speak on the fall of Saul. And as we've been going through, my wife and I, through our devotions, our Old Testament reading, and reading the commentaries that go along with that, a commentary, I've thought, man, that would be a good message. I didn't think I was going to have to put it all together in one afternoon. So you pray for me, and we trust that you'll come back tonight. All right, Bill, would you dismiss us in prayer, please?